Well, welcome to Salem Chapel. My name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. If you're new with us, thank you so much for being here. If you're watching us online, we're glad you're here. If you call this place your home, we're glad you're here. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. If you are new with us, we've been in this series that we started in September, walking through the book of John, looking at this idea, and we named it the title of the series, That You May Believe. We actually took that straight from what John says in John 20, 31, where he gives the purpose of this gospel, where he says that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what we desire, that at Salem Chapel, we want you to abide with Jesus. We want you to know how to abide with Jesus, and we want you to know how to help others abide with Jesus. We define abide as walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. And so if we are called to abide with Jesus, then I think it's important that we know who Jesus is, right? So that's why we're walking through this gospel in, 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 the, in the book of John and you know, I say that because oftentimes we see Jesus, and rightfully so, and, and man, the greatest reality of our lives is that Jesus is the Savior from our sin. He's the Savior for our soul, but he's also the Savior in the midst of our circumstances, and that's the reality that we're looking at. So I want to, hopefully you're in John chapter 2 by now, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 and then I'm going to give some context to what we find in, this, in these 12 verses. And then we're just going to unpack this this morning. Uh, so look at verse 1. It says, on the third day, so three days after Jesus calls Nathaniel. Remember we looked at that last week if you're here with us or you watched that already online. On the third day, so three days after he calls Nathaniel to be one of his disciples, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. So not too far from where... Jesus calls his first disciples, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited to this wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Now let me say this right from the get-go. If you're in our reading plan, you've already read this this week, and if you don't aren't on a reading plan, you, you can get that on our website, salemchapel.org, backslash, I think it's John, or you can grab those at the Welcome Center. But if you've never studied this before, you look at that and you're like, man, Jesus is being very disrespectful to his mother. I mean, let's be, let's be honest, ladies. I'm not sure that you would want anyone to respond with you as woman, Right? Like, that would not be very smart um, for anyone responding to a lady that way. Well, I just want to say this right from the beginning so your mind doesn't get sidetracked by wondering, why does Jesus call her woman? That's actually a term of respect. It would be like, like we're in the South, that'd be like saying, ma'am. Like, I didn't even try to attempt a Southern accent. That's like saying ma'am. So this is a term of respect. So, so ladies, um, I understand the tension that you might feel when you first read this. Jesus is not being disrespectful or, or uh, downgrading uh, the, uh, who a woman is at all. He's giving a term of respect. He says, what does this have to do with me? Now we're going to unpack that because you're like, okay, that answered the woman piece, but it still sounds pretty disrespectful of Jesus talking to his mother. Like, like if you're in your house and you still live at home, don't talk to your mom this way. That worked then, not so much now, but I'll give you reason why that's, Jesus is not doing anything in that regard. 
says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. We'll speak to that here in a little bit. Each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water that had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, speaking of Jesus, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now here's what we need to do before we kind of unpack what God has for us today is let's, let's understand a little bit about the culture in which this is happening. Like that's so important when you're reading the Bible because, because what, the way we do weddings today is not so much the way that they did weddings back then. See, the wedding celebration in Hebrew culture at the time was considered to be the most grand event in all of life. Now, if you're a bride, you think that. But not everybody else does. So it's like the most grand event. I'm not downplaying that at all. I, I mean, I, I love going to weddings. It's, but it's the most grand event in life during this time, especially for people who had nothing. Especially for the poor. Like this was your one shining moment in life. And typically, the Hebrew wedding ceremony took place late in the evening, followed by a feast. And then after the ceremony, the bride and groom were taken to their home in a torchlight parade, complete with a canopy held over their heads. Like, if you're getting married soon, uh, maybe, maybe I can spark some ideas here. Um, but, but this, so, so they're done with the wedding. The, the whole bridal party follows them with a canopy over their head, torchlight, late at night. And then... Uh, Let's see here. It says they were also taken along the longest route possible so that everyone could wish them well. Like, like it's like, okay, we can go home this way or we can go home this way and parade around the whole town so that everybody knows it's our special day. Now, get this. This is, this is the biggest difference. Instead of a honeymoon, they had an open house for a week. Crazy. I don't know about you, but I ain't trading honeymoon for an open house for a week. Uh, they were considered to be king and queen and actually wore crowns and dressed in bridal robes, and their word was considered to be law. So, what they said to one another during that ceremony. Now, here's what you need to understand because chances are Jesus is invited to this wedding because. Uh, he had relationship with the people getting married, and Mary is also there, which gives that idea. But in the lives that often contained, like if you were poor, if you were born into poverty and difficulty, like I said, this was the supreme occasion. And many would, I mean, this was the pinnacle of their time of their life. They would never experience another ceremony or event like this. 
But what I want you to see as we get started in this passage of Scripture and unpacking it, I want to draw your attention to verse 2. In fact, if you have a pen and you have a Bible, I want you to underline verse 2. Jesus was also invited to the wedding. See, here's the title of the message this morning. Did you invite Jesus? I want to ask you that this morning. Did you invite Jesus? You're like, Johnny, invite Jesus to what? Here's the idea that I want you to get today. That Jesus desires to be invited into every event of your life. He wants to be invited into every event of your life. And what I want to do this morning in the time that we have through these 12 verses is I want to answer this question that you may be asking, why? Why would Jesus want to be invited into every event of my life? And if you're taking notes and you're writing that main idea that we're going to unpack this morning, make sure you write every. Don't leave that out. Why would Jesus want to be invited into every area of my life? Well, I want to give you three reasons. Here's the first one. We just read it in verses one and two. I emphasize verse two. Number one, here's why I want to invite Jesus into every event of my life. Number one, Jesus cares about you. And he cares about me. I already said this, most people believe that the reason why Jesus was invited to this wedding is because he had some sort of relationship with the couple who were being married. And the reason why we can say that is because Mary was, had some role in the wedding, whether she was like, I don't know, I mean they didn't have it back then, whether she was the pseudo, even though they didn't call it back this, the wedding coordinator or whatever it was, she obviously presents a need to Jesus that we're gonna, we're gonna unpack here in a minute, but, but there was some type of connection there which was the reason why Jesus was invited. See, what I want you to understand this morning under this idea that Jesus cares about you is that connection warrants an invitation. There was a connection. And because there was a connection, it warranted an invitation. See, think about this. When was the last time, when was the last time you thought about inviting Jesus into something that was a happy event in your life? When was the last time? Like something that was amazing, something that was glorious, something that was happy, something that was joyful. When was the last time you said, man, let's make sure in my mind that I'm like, Jesus, I want to remind myself that I want you to be a part of this. I want to remind myself that you're here with me. See, so often we view our lives in this dichotomy that I like to describe like this, and it's not new to me, sacred versus secular. You probably don't even realize it, but you may even view your life like that right now. Here's what I mean by that. So right now, you're here in church physically or you're watching online. And so what you are thinking to yourself is you're saying, though you may not describe it this way, you would say that this time right here is sacred. Like this time right here is for Jesus. 
Like I'm singing songs, and my Bible is open, I'm listening to his word. But then when, you know, when we close, the last song is done, and we read Jude 24 and 25, and we walk out of here, and you go to your car, now you view the rest of your life as secular. Like now this life, the rest of this life, I just kind of live. And I live it for me, and yeah, I know Jesus needs to, you know, I know I need to open up my Bible during the week, and I need to read it, and I need to pray, and those are good things, and hopefully, you, you know, you got one of our journals, and, and, you're, and you're using our Bible reading tool and prayer tool, all of that, but if we're not careful, we have this dichotomy of these times in my life are sacred, and these times in my life are secular. This time on Sunday morning is Jesus' time. And the rest of the time in my life is my time. The rest of the time in my life, Jesus doesn't really care that much about. Like, I gotta go to work tomorrow. I'm not crazy about my job. Like, I gotta grind this week. I'm not even thinking in my life that Jesus even wants to be a part of that. Or you're thinking in your life, like, man, some massive event just happened. Like, I just had a birthday yesterday, or, or I just achieved something dramatic in my life, or, or, man, I got my report card back, and I got great grades for the first time ever. I got straight A's, or I didn't flunk, or whatever is a celebration for you. Or, man, I just, got, I just had a great date last night, a great date night, or we could go on and on and on. And when's the last time you thought to yourself, yeah, Jesus wants to be a part of that? Like just acknowledging, Jesus, this is a gift from you. I just think it's so significant that here we have an event that's a joyous occasion and the people that had a connection with Jesus knew that that warranted an invitation. I mean, think about what it would communicate to you if the only time someone who had a connection with you invited them, invited you into their lives when there was a crisis going on, you think to yourself, man, I feel kind of used. Man, I feel like they're just looking at me as my 911. They're just looking at me as a bank account. They're just looking at me as a safety net. But man, they never invite me to anything that's joyous. They never invite me to anything that's happy. They never want to like just hang out and have, have, you know, have a good time together. You would feel unappreciated. You would feel somewhat just taken advantage of. And so when I look at this passage of Scripture and I look at the first two verses of this passage, and I'm like, well, why, does, why should I want to invite Jesus into every area of my life? Because he wants to be invited. He cares for you. He wants to be invited to those amazing times. He wants you just to acknowledge, man, I had a great day today. Jesus, thank you for that. Jesus, I'm about to be acknowledged for something that's special. And Lord, I just want to remind myself that you're here with me. I want to invite you into that. I want to thank you for that. Lord, I just don't want to run to you for crisis and for trials, though we should. But a relationship with Jesus, abiding with Jesus is yes, walking hand in hand with them as he leads the way, but listen to me, Jesus just doesn't lead you through crisis, he leads you through happy occasions. And so I just want us this morning to acknowledge your connection to Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, 
Jesus wants to be invited into your crisis, yes. But Jesus also wants to be invited into those moments of your life that you can celebrate. You can be thankful. You can be happy. Because when we do that, we realize that, Lord, an hour and a half on a Sunday morning is not the only thing that's sacred. Lord, every event of my life is a sacred occasion. Why? Because if I'm a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, and where I go, God goes. And he makes every event better. So every event of my life is sacred. Oh, we need to remember that. Here's the second reason that Jesus needs to be invited into every area of our life. Because Jesus is your source of lasting joy. You know, here's what, here's what I wish was the custom of the day. Like, like uh, you know, if we got any families in here that have had to pay for a wedding, here's what's interesting. The bridegroom and his family were responsible for funding the wedding. So if any of you have daughters, you're like, man, oh man, let me take me back to that place. So we got this Victorian custom going on here in the United States where the bride pays for most of everything. His, her family pays for most of everything. Well, here in the Hebrew culture, the bridegroom, like the groom and his family were responsible for funding the wedding. Now look at this. What you need to understand about this Hebrew custom of a wedding is, and they were also responsible for, for providing the wedding guests wine for seven days. Like not three hours, seven days. Now I'll be honest with you, I don't mind going to weddings, but I would want to go to a wedding that lasts for seven days if it was done like the Hebrews do it. See, here's the Jewish thought. Here's why wine was so important to the, to the Hebrews, to the Jews, because wine was a symbol of joy and celebration. So the reason why the bridegroom and his family were responsible for providing wine for seven days is it emphasized the joyous occasion that this wedding was. Because that's what wine represented. If you go through the Old Testament, wine is often referred to to symbolize joy and celebration. But what's interesting in verse three, look at it again, you can almost feel the distress in Mary's words when she comes to Jesus and say, they have no more wine. Like they run out the first day. Like they have no more wine. And here's what you need to understand. Wine, if you ran out, a lawsuit could be given to you. Like that's how serious it was. Like, yeah, I went to this wedding. Wine only lasted two days. Yeah, we're in court right now. We're suing them. I guess it's a crazy custom. But nevertheless, what I want you to see here is that they ran out of wine. The wine ran out, and Mary says they have no more. I think there's significance as we read through this narrative and what happens here in this wedding. And I know it's hard for us to understand the significance of that, which is why I gave you the context. If you lived back then, this would have been the worst case scenario for you. 
Remember, these people most likely didn't have a lot of money. Why? Because usually people that didn't have money associated with people that didn't have money. So why is it important that Jesus is invited into every area of your life? Here's why. Because, listen to me, my joy and your joy will run out. The things that I naturally looked for joy will run out. They won't last. Because no matter what you've tasted, so to speak, there comes a time when the exhilaration and the excitement wears out. For some of us, it comes sooner than later. The things that we pursue, the events in life, the things that we oftentimes look for long-lasting joy, they run out. Being full of health, our money increasing, our friends multiplying, an abundance to eat, plenty to drink, a warm place to sleep. But here's what happens with every person that's looking to the wrong place for your joy. Every one of us find out at some point in our life, some sooner than later, some of us find out in our teenage years. Some of us find out in our college years. Some of us find out in what we like to call our midlife crisis. That if we are looking for joy in the wrong place, our joy will run out. And I wonder if some of you are in this place that are just like that. You're a follower of Jesus Christ. You know you're supposed to have joy. But you're, you're saying to yourself, man, oh man, I feel like I'm a slave to my calendar. I feel like I'm living for the next high. I feel like I'm living for the next vacation. I feel like I'm living for the next holiday season. I've already put up my Christmas decorations and it's not even after Thanksgiving yet and because I'm just looking for the next high. I said that on purpose because I don't believe it's right to do that after, before Thanksgiving. But we're always looking for the next high. I can look for the next high. When's the next thing I can look forward to? When's the next time I'm gonna hang out with friends that I haven't seen in a while? When's the next time that I'm gonna be able to, to, uh, to go on vacation with my family? When's the next time I'm gonna be able to see my extended family? When's the next time I'm gonna be able to celebrate something that my kids have done? We could go on and on and on and on and on. If anything, what COVID, these last 18, 19, so it feels like five years, whatever it is, has shown me, you know what it revealed to me? How often I have looked for joy in the wrong places. Man, I can't go on vacation last summer, or two summers ago. Ugh. Can't do this, can't do that. All sporting events, or whatever it is, you know what it revealed to me? Man, I'm looking for the joy that runs out. And so when I look at this passage of scripture and knowing what wine represents, and I see Mary tell Jesus they have no more wine, what it shows me is, man, if I'm not looking in the right place, my joy will run out. And listen to me. I'm not saying it's okay to enjoy the thrills of life. I love thrills. I love to look for things to do that are fun. But let me tell you something. You can only go to quote unquote Disney World so many times before it gets old. You can only eat steak and lobster so many times before it gets old. And so if we're looking for joy in the wrong places, we're going to find ourselves just like this couple did. Our joy, our wine is going to run out. But here's what the joy of Jesus does. It provides hope when your joy runs out. Because it's a different type of joy. 
Notice what Jesus uses to make new wine. He takes six jars that hold 30 gallons each. That's 180 gallons of wine. That's a party. It's 180 gallons of wine. Now, here's what you need to understand, because I think there's some significance to this, is Jesus takes, he could have taken anything. But he says, hey, there's six jars over here that are used for, for the purification of things. So they would, they would literally bathe things in, these, in the water that was in these jars to purify them. That was part of the ceremonial law in the Old Testament. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus uses jars that were commanded by law to purify things. And he says, no, 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 I want to use those. And I want to use those purification jars, those jars that symbolize the law. And I want to make new wine in those jars. You know what that shows me? Is that Jesus was communicating why he came. He was communicating that I did not come so that you could do more. I came to do what you couldn't do. Because think about the, how old that would get. Man, we got to bathe this again. And we got to dump this in this water. We got to purify these things. Oh, you can't use that yet. You got to bathe them. You know, do more, do more, do more. And Jesus says, no, no, I want to use that and I'm going to create new wine to show that I've come so that it's not about you doing more. It's about you trusting in what I've done. See, Jesus provides hope when your joy runs out. Now let's focus on this little command comment that Jesus gives to his mother like woman what does this have to do with me my hour has not yet come once again these were not comments of offense or that Jesus didn't care here's what Jesus point was to his mother Mary is that I've come with a purpose and everything that I do must be submitted to the will of the father he has a time and he has a place for me to begin my ministry. It was a reminder to Mary on why he has come. It was not that he didn't care about the situation. And here's why I say that. Because Mary didn't leave with that. Because she leaves and what does she say to the servants? Do whatever. Look at it. Look at it. Look at the passage with me. What does it say? Do whatever he tells you to do. Like she left with complete trust and complete hope that Jesus was going to solve the problem. And what the joy that I find in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit that I see grow in me, which is love and joy, when I am looking to Jesus to provide for me what events will not provide for me, what happiness will not provide for me, what that does is it reminds me, no, 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 Jesus, in you, your joy, it provides me hope, even when my wine has run out. But here's what it also does. The joy of Jesus exceeds your expectations. See, what John is implying here is that life gets better as it goes on. Not necessarily circumstantially, but you begin to grow in your relationship with Jesus and seeing that he's the one that provides you the new wine, the better joy. And as you grow in that, life gets better, even when circumstances may not reveal that at the time. Now, I love the master of ceremonies response. He's like, man, 
you guys are doing it backwards. Like everyone who serves the good wine first when the people have drunk feeling, then the poor wine. Here's the reality, you can't get around it. Is the strategy was, hey, we're gonna give out the best wine first, and as they enjoy more and more wine, their taste buds are going not really care that much afterwards if you get where I'm going. But he's like, man, you've kept the good wine until now. Man, isn't that true of life? That the natural wines of life, they tend to lose their sparkle. Right? I mean, the things that I thought were so important in my 20s, I look at now and I'm like, hey, wasn't that big a deal? The things that I saw in my 30s, that I wanted to do and I wanted to achieve and those things that I thought would define me as a person and define my gifts and abilities and give me a sense of significance, ain't that big of a deal. And I know when I'm 60, I'm going to say, man, I remember when I was in my 40s and some of the things that I thought were such a big deal and some of the things that I spent so much time pursuing, they weren't that big of a deal. Why? Because after a while, it's not sweet. It's not significant. But you know what I found to be true? Is that Jesus doesn't work that way. See, the longer and longer I walk with him as he leads the way, the more and more he prepares for me, quote unquote, delicacies that grow my palate. Where I'm like, man, Lord, the things that I see, the joy that I have in you, the things that you're revealing to me, the things that you're growing me in, the circumstances in life, the crises in life, the trials in life, the times when I invite you into the happy moments in my life. Lord, I'm growing in my relationship with you. What are you doing? You are showing me that, Johnny, I continue to save the best wine. And the culmination of that, get this, the culmination of that, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is you are going to partake. It's going to continue to get better and better and better and you growing in the sweetness of your joy in Jesus. And the culmination of that will be when you see Jesus face to face and you experience the wine that he provides, so to speak, in a way that we cannot imagine. Listen to me. The reason why Jesus is the source of your joy, the reason why he wants to be invited in your life is so that he can show you that. So that he can show you, no, no, no. I exceed your expectations when everything else kind of grows stale. I love that in this passage of scripture, what it shows us is Jesus doesn't work like everything else. Jesus breaks cultural norms. Jesus breaks my expectations, just like he did with this master of ceremony. It's like, I've never seen this before, that the best wine is served at the end. Oh, man. Can we invite Jesus into every event of our life? I mean, if you're a Wake Forest fan, can you invite Jesus into the victory last night over NC State? Like he wants to be invited into that. If you're an NC State fan, he wants to be invited into the loss. He wants to be invited into every event of your life. Here's the last thing. Jesus wants to show you his glory. 
And that's why he wants to be invited into every event of your life. Look at verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And he did what? He manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. I think about how many times in my life In those happy times, did I miss out on an opportunity to celebrate Jesus' glory? Because I was just wasn't cognizant of reminding me of the reality. No, 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 Jesus wants to be involved in every aspect of my life. I mean, I'm quick to call Jesus in a crisis. I'm quick to call Jesus. I'm quick to pick up the phone and dial the 911 call. I mean, I do not hesitate in the least to do that. But understanding when I look at this passage of Scripture that he wants to be invited into every event of my life so he can show me his glory. Like, what do I mean by that? Glory in a night when the kids go down for bed easily. Glory when you get that promotion. Jesus showing his glory when you get that good night's sleep. Jesus showing his glory when you have peace in the midst of a storm. Jesus showing his glory when you achieve that goal that you've worked so hard for. Jesus showing his glory in that birthday that marks another year. Jesus showing his glory in that report card. Jesus showing his glory in that great date night. Jesus showing his glory when you come to church on a Sunday morning. Jesus showing his glory when you go to the mechanic and the bill's not as much as you thought. Jesus showing his glory. Fill in the blank. God, forgive us for looking at our life in this dichotomy of the sacred and the secular. Maybe of us this morning, man, we just need to take a moment and talk to our Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me for being so short-sighted that every event is an opportunity to invite you in. What does that look like? That just looks like you just pausing for a moment and say, Jesus, can I thank you that I get to see your glory and your goodness in this event right now? Like you made it possible. And you know what happens when we do that? Our belief in Jesus deepens. Because so often in my life when I allow circumstances, difficult circumstances, to define who Jesus is, it's not because Jesus hasn't shown me his goodness in what even I deem as good things. It's because I've failed to invite him into those things. And let's not be those people. I think it's so significant that the very first miracle that Jesus does to reveal his glory and to set his ministry into motion on this earth is a wedding. It's not the healing of a blind man. It's not him confronting some sin. It's not him meeting the woman at the well, as awesome as that is. And it's a celebration. It's a happy thing. It's a joyous thing. Oh, friend, when things happen this week that are good, 
see it as an opportunity to invite Jesus in. God, we're here today to just remind ourselves in this passage that for some of us is so familiar that Jesus, you want to be invited into every event of our life. God, forgive me for the times that I have been short-sighted and inviting you into the crisis, but not inviting you into the happy things, into the joyous things. Lord, we're here for you. We sing to you. We live for you. God, may we walk out looking for opportunities to invite you into every event of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.